Well, hi, and welcome to another episode of History and Herstory podcast. I'm Alex, and that's Amador. Hi, Amador. Hi, Alex. You did it. <laughs> Apparently, I messed that up last time because I didn't know we were doing it. <laughs> well, I stole it from another podcast, so. Oh, good. It's fine. <laughs> Who needs creativity? Well, it's better than just like fumbling through it like every other week. And we're like, uh, hi, uh, uh. It's from a Gilmore Girls podcast. Oh my god, of course it is. I see you're, I see you're watching that show again for the billionth time. Yeah. I don't know how it's entertaining at all. I don't know. You learn something new every time. Pick something else up. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's true, but it's pretty true. Uh huh. You got anything good for us this week? Uh, I haven't looked at the numbers actually for last week. I don't know if anyone. Do you remember what we talked about last week? Mm, no. <laughs> what was it? Are you actually? Do you actually not remember? Well, maybe mostly. I could trigger oh, yeah, it. Was it. I was gonna <laughs> say maybe I could trigger it and then you'd remember. We Stupid. had fifteen plays last week. Well, good. Uh, numbers are still good then. I'm glad to see people are are hanging around. Um, I'd like those numbers to be higher, so all 15 people go tell someone to listen to the podcast. I mean, always, but yeah. Do Like, share, subscribe. Uh Uh-huh. Do all that stuff, uh, especially on Apple Podcasts. I guess Apple, like from what I've heard from listening to other podcasts, though, Apple Podcasts doesn't really matter anymore. Like having the reviews and stuff, but do it anyway. Go give us five stars. Yeah. It'd be pretty neat. Follow us, listen to us, really share. Uh, yeah, follow the podcast on Twitter at H and H Story Pod. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Amandor nine two. What? Did you hear Twitter's dead? Is it dead? Yeah, it's all about threads now. I don't know what that is. It's like the Instagram version of Twitter. I did actually take Twitter off my phone. Well, I actually took Facebook off my phone too. Um. So yeah, I've only like on my desktop every once in a while. So no, I haven't been paying attention ever since Twitter did that like view limit, which I was never touching. Like people are crying and complaining about it. Like just, I don't know, find something else to do and don't be on Twitter so much. I, I, you know. Well, like imagine a business that's like, we don't want your business. Yeah, I guess. But like, I like that you don't have to use it. <laughs> it's like no one's holding a gun to anyone's head to use Twitter. Sure. So I don't well, like, I don't I really do get the people that like having an outrage about it. I do understand people that use it for their job. Like social media managers and like marketing people and stuff like they need it. Pay the 8 bucks an hour, a month, I guess, and get your unlimited views. It's not unlimited, it's only 10,000. Whatever. <sighs> anyway, threads up threads up did you create us a thread profile uh no but i created me a thread profile oh i don't even know what that is it's literally the instagram version of twitter it's just twitter but like you can follow everybody that you follow on instagram you can literally click follow all and it does it for you oh see that's the problem though right it's like it's like it's just it's like so they're this oh, okay let's get into it a little bit <laughs> Even though you already told me that you have a lot of stuff to talk about today. Let's get into it a little bit. It's going to be a long boy. I have a couple hard feelings about this. 
The problem is, is like, you, and this is any company, right? It's uh, like everyone's like, oh, we're not like them. And we're better than them until they're not, right? And like until they, like Reddit was a prime example where like Reddit was like this bastion of freedom. Then they got bought by people who don't care about that anymore. And they're like, now it's garbage. And then Twitter was this bastion of freedom. Then it gets bought by someone who doesn't, treat it the way it used to be treated and now it's garbage so it's like any company is like starts as this like we're different <laughs> and then it just gets once it gets like manipulated by advertisers it doesn't matter well twitter eventually became an advertisement itself like yeah so it's facebook sure but like everybody that's on twitter like the people that you want to hear from it's all just ads like come see me at this place or come by this thing that's whatever including us that's what we're doing like come, opposed listen, to to come listen to us fair but i also have like a personal twitter account that i post random stream of consciousness things on uh -huh. you know like it's it's different i'm just saying that thread is gonna end up i mean maybe it won't maybe it'll be the <laughs> the one in a billion that doesn't i was just reading an article while you were editing your your podcast uh notes I was reading an article about REI. REI is like this. It was written in NPR. REI is like this bastion of companies. Like we pay our we pay our employees well. We're really progressive. We don't like our employees don't work on Black Friday. After 15 years, you get a four week uh, uh, sabbatical. Like it's an incredible company, but their their workers are unionizing and they don't like it. And and the article was written from like the employee standpoint of. We thought you were better than this and you would just accept us for unionizing. It's like, no, they're not. <laughs> yeah, they're they don't, there they don't to, want you to have more rights. They're there to make money. Like, that's that's it. That's companies. That's anyone in the business. Anyone in a business is there to make money. I think this is all, all this unionizing stuff is so interesting because, like, it all happened before and it all happened in Butte. Which is Both, really right, cool. yeah. and people got hung hang it it did yeah go and listen to our frank little episode yeah we almost we almost saw his uh his uh gravestone right we never even went and looked at that we should have we should have yeah well i still want to go up to the granite mountain memorial site up there too good anyway. little like they're probably within like five minutes of each other up there yeah anyway no my, my point is to bring it all back is like yeah, thread. It sounds great. And then it's just going to become one giant ad, just like Instagram is, just like Facebook is, just like Twitter is. That's like the main reason. Like, I don't like pay attention to Facebook anyway because I don't like it's I, I'm tired of scrolling through ads. Yeah. And like weird listicles and just videos of garbage. And yeah. And Twitter is the same way. Yeah, like I Twitter's fine. I Twitter. bet Twitter's more so. I I'm getting off that because it's like, I'll probably start back. I'll probably put it back on my phone. I'm not leaving it, um, all the way. But like, I'll probably get back on my phone when hockey season starts up again. But baseball season is so depressing right now. It's like, and that's like all I follow is Chicago White Sox baseball personalities, Twitter personalities, if you can call them that, Twitter celebrities, um. And so it's like, I, it's just a depressing season. So I'm like, yeah, there's no really reason for me to be here right now, except for the podcast. I mean, you know, 
Yeah. I can keep posting. I haven't even posted stuff about the podcast. I've been dragging my feet. But we've been busy. We have been busy. We're never home. We're... <laughs> well, it was the 4th of July. Like, we did... It wasn't just, like, us leaving home. It was for a reason. Yeah, but and we were home every day for the 4th of July. Back and forth. Back and forth. Yeah. Unfortunately, we were home every day. Huh. Okay. That's enough. I'm talking about corrupt businesses. Even not even a corrupt business. Like you can't get mad at a business for wanting to make money. That's their point. You can though. Because if it's at the detriment of like the people who are actually running your business, like your hop your biggest commodity as a business owner is your people. Right, but and you if can you're quit. not treating your people if those people can quit. They don't like this to go to another company that's doing the same thing. Yeah, exactly. But my point is, like, it's pick your poison. It's like trusting any politician. Okay, well, this is victim blaming now, so. <laughs> no, it's not victim blaming. I'm just saying that there are options. They're not all good. Some of them may not be, none of them may be good. Then that doesn't make them options. <laughs> yes, it does. Listen, it, this is life. What, you don't have it, to have. You're on one today. You don't you're have to have. You're very like, everything sucks and everybody <laughs> sucks and it doesn't matter and whatever. You're very nihilistic and negative today. Is that what you're talking about? No. Nihilism? <laughs> Nihilism would be a fun topic. No, it would be depressing and sad. It would be sad and depressing. All right. Well, you're going to talk about something happy then? Yeah. Do you have any more well, banter? No. Fourth of July was great. We got to see a bunch of family. Shout out to Bobby. Maybe he'll listen to this episode since we kind of harassed him. Uh for not about not listening to any episodes um it was my brother's birthday <laughs> happy birthday nick we haven't seen him he was drunk on a softball field for most of his birthday in a snowman suit in a snowman suit yeah yeah shout out to him uh somehow, we'll see him this weekend though yeah we will somehow your daughter slept through all of the fireworks and then not the next night right when there was very little fireworks she just was like up apparently up and down i was passed out so i didn't hear her wake up but yeah i know i you did. heard her wake up a bunch but she she would like cry for a minute and then go back to sleep and then like a half hour later cry for a minute and then go back to sleep i wonder she just if she didn't was, have very restless i sleep. wonder if she was a little cold so i turned up the turned up the temp a little bit i kind of thought that too so it's well, at 85 now so anyway no one I, has to complain about the temperature Part of me, it's not 85, part of me thinks that while the war zone was happening mm -hmm. outside, she was just like completely terrified. Petrified? Yeah. And just like wouldn't make a noise, wouldn't move. was just scared the whole time. Or maybe not. Or maybe she was asleep. That doesn't I seem like highly her. Highly doubt it. Well, I, that doesn't seem like her. Like none of those, none of those seem realistic. It doesn't seem realistic that she slept through the whole thing, but it also doesn't seem realistic that she would just be quiet and not like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> I guess. So, maybe a little both? I don't know. She's a big fan of wings, though. Wings? Not wings. The band? Ribs. <laughs> <laughs> Ribs. Paul McCartney? <laughs> uh yeah she's a big fan of ribs yeah we smoked some ribs those were delicious oh, really good smoked uh it's our third item that we've smoked now pork chops ribs and chicken chicken quarters all of them have been great yeah gotta try some salmon so, i know yeah. you don't like it but yeah no. you can smoke that i don't care just don't well what i just don't want the grill to smell like fish for the rest of my life <laughs> I thought it was mine. Oh. 
I don't want your grill to smell like fish for the rest of my life. Christ. <laughs> uh, okay. That's probably enough banter. Enough enough nihilism, as you call it, about the corporate world. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah. It's your episode this week. Hopefully everyone did enjoy the Deja Vu episode. I think it's something that... Uh, I think it's something... I, only 70% of people experience it, but I think it's more than that. feels like it's more than that. Yeah. Everyone kind of has their own uh, versions of Deja Vu or their own kind of experiences, I guess. I mean, it's all subjective, right? You, you know. Well, we witnessed my dad have Deja Vu over the weekend. Yeah, true. He did say that. My mom said he like happens to him quite a bit. And she also told us that that house that I was talking to, talking about Kevin's house with the couch and like the staircase that I was jumping off onto the couch. Right. She said my dad had never been there before either. So he like wouldn't have been able to tell me what it looked like. Huh. No, no. Premonition. Use yeah. your power for good. Okay. Hasn't really helped with some of your stocks. Yes, it has. <laughs> Could you? <laughs> How much have you made in your stocks? Well, I don't play the game that much, so. Well, can't win if you don't play the game. <laughs> I have no money to play the game, so. Okay, that's enough <laughs> banter. You uh, just said that like four times. I know, <laughs> I know. Anything else about 4th of July or anything, though, before we move on? I don't know, man. I don't think so. Happy birthday, America. Uh, my mom told me two more years. Two more years? Three more years, 2026 will be uh, the 150th birthday of America. So that'll probably be pretty big. I didn't even think about that. Well, the big 150. Maybe America will last until 250, right? 250? Yeah, 250? 1776? 2023? 250. Whatever. Yeah. 1876 let's do the math 1876 would have been 100 1976 would have been 200 yeah it would have been 250 i can do math wow we might make it till then okay jesus christ <laughs> what do you got for us this week uh okay well first i have a fact for you oh yeah that's right is it actual like yeah because this is as opposed to the July non-fact 6th? I gave you last time? What well, do you mean? Last time you had me guessing. I'll get... Oh, we'll, hold on. <laughs> My fact comes from June 7th, the day that this comes out. July 7th. Oh, shit. You're right. <laughs> I typed that in wrong. Okay. Is it actually from July 7th, though? It is. It is. <laughs> I just typed it wrong. I'd have been so... <laughs> <laughs> Listen, <laughs> July 7th, 1928. Henry Ford created the industrial, the... No. Damn it. <laughs> this happened on the inventor's 48th birthday, though. Okay. In Chillicothe, Michigan. Kay. By Michigan, I mean Michigan, yeah. By Michigan, I mean... It's not Ford? Oh, wait. No, Missouri. Oh, my goodness. Is it MI? Well, it was Missouri, but then I abbreviated it to MI, which I think is Michigan. Right. Missouri is? MS? MO. Oh. Uh, Mississippi is MS. Shit. 
Wow. I'm so fucking stupid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you just like a mouse laugh. You're like, <laughs> Folks, we got a case of the giggles today. <laughs> okay, okay. Any, gu- <laughs> any guesses? Where is this taking place and when? Okay. Repeat the date and the location. July 7th, 1928 in Chillicothe, Missouri on the inventor's 48th birthday. No idea. Edison? No. Tesla? Slice. Shut up. <laughs> That's enough. Those aren't guesses. Those are people. They're inventors. Anyway. Sliced bread was sold for the first time. Wow. Wow. That can't be true. Some oh my ca- god <laughs> Sam, some caveman definitely had to have like cut a piece of bread at one well yeah point people fucking the- cut their bread but they didn't buy it pre-cut <laughs> is that is, is that day- just like taking off chunks of whole like bread loaves is that the day wonder was invented uh no wonder bread isn't john wonder <laughs> john wonder cut the first i actually piece. don't know the guy's name cool i took it out the best invention ever according to the idiom of the best thing since sliced bread i mean it's a idiom i don't know i think so yeah like a saying a turn of phrase like a cultural turn of phrase idiom mm-hmm. makes sense idiom spoken by an idiot that's me <laughs> great fact of the day thanks all right you ready uh i'm sitting down great well get comfy because it's a long boy no oh boy I'm going to tell you about Joan of Arc. Joan Van Arc? No. Joan <laughs> of Arc. Her middle name is of. Joan Van. Did you get this because we watched Bill and Ted the other day? <laughs> or did you already have this in mind? No, I think that's why. But I also have had this in mind. Like, it was... Like, you hear Joan of Arc all the time, but I never knew, like, what it was all about. First time I learned about her was playing Civilization Three. I think she was a leader of the French. French? She's French, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, she was like one of the leaders. And they had like little biographies about each of the leaders when I would read those because I was a nerd. You're still a nerd. Still a nerd, but anyway. All right. So, Joan of Arc um, was born around 1412 in a small village in France. Good year. Yeah. <laughs> like the tires. Her actual date of birth. That bar- almost had traction, like the tire. <laughs> God. I'm trying to find a pop or stud or something in there. It's not working. God. Anyway, her date of birth is unknown, like her actual date of birth is unknown, uh-huh. and um, her statements whenever she would talk about her age were very vague, um, probably because she was much younger than she let on, um, which kind of would have defeated her credibility, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But Her parents were Jacques Dark. He's, okay, they're Jack French, Dark. so it's <laughs> D apostrophe a-r-c jack of the ark jack right. dark ja- but it'd be like dark yeah d- yeah d- yeah 
because the apostrophe like you run those letters together yeah anyway and her mom's name was isabel jacques de arc Joan had three brothers and a sister, and her father was a peasant farmer with about 50 acres of land, um, and he supplemented the family income as a village official collecting taxes and heading the local watch. Joan of Arc's name was written in a variety of ways, and there's no standard spelling of her name before the 16th century. Her last name was usually written as, as we just said, D-apostrophe-A-R-C, but there are variants such as Tark, T-A-R-C, D-A-R-T, or D-A-Y. So it's kind of like... But here's the thing. Or, she or was Gary. Usually, <laughs> right. <laughs> she was usually the one that was writing her name down. Like, that's why we have records and stuff, because she signed shit or whatever. Um, But she was never taught to read or write. So this is her just kind of like... Scribbling. Her, yeah, like her knowledge of letters and their sounds <laughs> as like a non-educated person and just being like... She's just- She's fooling no. everybody. <laughs> right. <laughs> so eventually, um, she may have learned to read. We're not really sure. But Joan referred to herself in letters as Joan La Pucelle, <laughs> which means Joan the Maiden, or um, as La Pucelle, just La Pucelle the Maiden, emphasizing her virginity. And she signed her name that way um, into the or not into the 16th century, but until her death, basically. <laughs> okay. Good for um, her. In the 16th century, she became known as the Maid of Orleans, and we'll talk about why. Yeah, because that's like 80 years later. Yeah. So, she was born during the Hundred Years' War between England and France. which One be- of the many. Which <laughs> began in 1337. <laughs> so, I'm going to give you a whole lot of backstory here. About what's going on between England and France at the time. Okay. Because there's some kind of wild family bullshit of going course. on in yeah. here. <laughs> All right. What so, was the, before you continue, what was the, like, or, so this is the French side. Who's, Hundred Years' War, was that, is that the, the Queen Mary or Mary Queen of Scots era? Or is that later? I don't think so. She has nothing to do with this story. Right. But I mean, like, I'm just trying to think of like who's. You Are know, you going to talk about who's running England at this time? Yes. Okay. His name's Henry. The Henry the fifth. Oh, okay. And so it's Henry quite the a sixth. it's quite a bit of time before. Yeah, but that's always something that has been fascinating to me. Of like the all these stories that you hear about history, and then lining them up as like a while this is happening, this is also happening way over here, mm-hmm. and that like. These things aren't all a hundred years apart. They're like happening at the same time. Right. It's nuts. Anyway. That's fifteen what'd you say, fourteen twelve? That's when she was born. The Hundred Years War started in thirteen thirty seven. Right. So she okay. comes in at the end of the Hundred Years War. Sure. What's up? So <laughs> And this okay. Hundred Years War is fought over the status of English territories in France. And English claims to the fr- French f- oh my god. English claims to the French throne. That's really hard to say. Okay. Um, right, because there was a lot of like, not only was there inbreeding, like every family tree was a circle back then, but it was also like interweaving France and English people. Yeah. Like the royalty, I mean. Right. The royalty was interbreeding and then, or inbreeding and then inbreeding with the French and then back and forth. and Right. Everybody's their cousin. Looks like a spider's web. (laughs) (laughs) 
So nearly all the fighting had taken place in France, which devastated the economy and killed a lot of peasants. And at the time of Joan's birth, France was divided politically. The French king, and, and stay with me here, okay, because there's two sides that we're going to talk about. France and England. And we're going to keep talking about them throughout this story, so yeah. pay attention. Refer to them as France and England. No, <laughs> because they're two different sides. I mean, that's two different sides, but just shut up and listen. <laughs> okay. Uh, at the time, oh, I just read that. The French king, Charles VI, had recurring bouts of mental illness and was often unable to rule. Same. His brother, Louis, <laughs> was the Duke of Orleans. Okay, so Charles is the king. His brother, Louis, is the Duke of Orleans. Okay. And his cousin, his name is John the Fearless. Well, I mean, his name is John. <laughs> yeah, probably wasn't born John the Fearless. He's the Duke of Burgundy. Okay, so we have the Duke of Orleans, who's the king's brother. We have the Duke of Burgundy, who's the king's cousin. And this is in France. Yep. So, in 1407, the Duke of Burgundy, the cousin, ordered the assassination of the Duke of Orleans, the brother. Because they're kind of like, well, this king guy is... Right, because after the Hundred Years' War, Burgundy is separate from France. That's its own nation. Sure. Spoiler alert. Great. <laughs> Well, anyway. I, that's, uh, that's that's history. Like, by 1450, it's a completely different country. Or it's its own country, I mean. Let me get there. Okay. <laughs> so, both of these guys are like, King's an asshole. King doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> he's mentally ill. But they're Give both, him a break. <laughs> but they're both like, but we should be on the throne now. So. Brother has a better claim. Yeah. So, this assassination attempt um, creates a civil war. Charles of Orleans, brother, um, succeeded his father as Duke at the age of 13 and was placed in custody of Bernard, Count of Armagnac. Okay. Okay. So So he's only 13 when the cousin tried to assassinate him? Yes. This guy's dad dies. He becomes the Duke. um, And he is kind of like taken under the wing of this guy called Count of Armagnac. And his supporters became known as the Armanacs. So now we have that side, who was the Duke of Orleans, and now kind of becomes an Armanac. Okay. And we have the... Burgundians. Burgundies. I wanted to say the bourgeoisie, but... The, the, the Burgundians. <laughs> right. So we have the Armanacs and the Burgundies. And the French. Those are the French. <laughs> well, right. But I mean, like, there's the third one, too, which is the king. Right, but he's kind of not really part of this. He's like, all right, I'm going to go talk to the people in my head. You guys right. you guys go do whatever I'm going to go be schizophrenic in the corner. Right. All right, so we have those two those two sides. Those are the ones that we're going to be talking about. Armanacs and the Burgundians. Yep. The future uh, French king, Charles VII, had assumed the title of Dauphine, or the heir to the throne. Um, after the death of his four older brothers and was associated with the Armanacs. So the Armanacs kind of have the like the support of the throne and the Burgundies are kind of seen as the um, the rebels. The red-headed stepchild? Kind of, yeah. The red-headed French child? So now let's talk Nothing about on England. <laughs> 
I'm nine pages of notes here. We gotta get going. <laughs> Let's talk about England. Let's talk about England. Henry V of England um, exploited France's internal divisions when he invaded in, fif- in 1415. The Burgundies took Paris in 1418. And in 1419, the heir to the French throne, the Dauphine, offered a truce to negotiate peace. Holy shit! To negotiate peace with the Duke of Burgundy, but the Duke was assassinated by Charles's Armagnac partisans during the negotiations. <laughs> That's a shouldn't problem. Have, shouldn't have posted it on the on the bulletin board in town okay. where you were going to have your meeting. The new Duke of Burgundy, called Philip the Good, allied with the English. So now we have. England coming in on that side of the the French rebels. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Charles the sixth, the crazy guy, accused the Dauphin um, of murdering the Duke of Burgundy and declared him unfit to inherit the French throne. Okay, so during a period, so Charles the seventh is out in the eyes of Charles the sixth. Charles the sixth, <laughs> yeah, he's his like, dad. you can't just kill the people that you don't like. Like He's not, nuts! I know. <laughs> That's probably what Charles VII was saying. <laughs> so Charles VI, the, the reigning king, mm-hmm. gets sick, and his wife, Isabeau of Bavaria, stood in for him and signed the Treaty of Troy, which gave their daughter Catherine... Big horse. No. Different Troy. <laughs> T-R-O-Y-E-S. Troyes? Trey? T-R-O-Y-E-S. <laughs> Anyway. Some this is Cantor, it's what pronounced. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh anyway. This treaty gave their daughter Catherine um in marriage to Henry V. So now you have the French king's daughter marrying their enemy king. Mm-hmm. Um and it granted the succession of the French throne to their heirs and effectively disinherited the Dauphine. So he is out. Right. Um, Because the line's going to keep going on with their daughter. This caused rumors that the Dauphine was not King Charles VI's son, but the offspring of an adulterous affair between Isabeau and the murdered Duke of Orleans. Ah, the brother. Mm -hmm. A very (laughs) Hamlet-esque situation. These are all just rumors. Uncle! People are like, "Mm." Uncle! Mm, Am I your uncle, though, kid? Am I? (laughs) In 1422, Henry V and Charles VI died within two months of each other. The nine-month-old Henry VI of England was the nominal heir of the dual monarchy as agreed in the treaty, but the (laughs) Dauphine also claimed the French throne. Of course. They're not going to leave their throne up to a nine-month-old. Nope. So Charles VII, the Dauphine. Are you looking at me like that? Yeah, Charles VI. quote-unquote son right charles the seventh <laughs> met okay this is where joan kind of comes in so that was all <laughs> what was going on in france and england and stuff at the time uh-huh. that's where joan is entering into this political world let's all pause for a second what do you actually know about joan like her as a person uh she burned at the stake i think is the only thing i really know about her Okay. Led led some military campaigns, I think, and then was burned at the stake. All right. So she was effectively also crazy. 
<laughs> and burning at the stake. Okay. So, because when Charles VII met her for the first time, it was at the royal court in Chinon. Chinon. Chanel, no. number five. C-H-I-N-O-N. Guinan. Chanel. You gotta get the nose in there. Chanel. I hate French. <laughs> I need to stop doing French things. <laughs> All right. Anyway, Charles uh, meets Joan for the first time when she's 17, and he was 26. She told him that she had come to raise the siege of Orleans and to lead him to uh, Reims for his coronation. So she wants to take him to this like other place so he can actually become the king. But she's like some peasant's kid. What is she? How did she even get there? Hmm. Good question. <laughs> this is all brought on by visions she had that many others at the time believed to be divine communications. She so she was smoking weed, and <laughs> she got bored. I was like, "Hey, so this bitch is nuts." <laughs> and people are like, "Okay, <laughs> sounds good." Now remember, everyone that listening, this is coming from the person who believes in ghosts. Continue. <laughs> but I don't believe in hallucinations from God. Seems sus. Eh, ghosts are hallucinations. Could be argued. It could be argued. Sure. But they're not. Anyway, they had a private exchange. They had a private exchange that made a strong impression on Charles. Um, I'm sorry. She's 17. He's 26. Yeah. Okay. So, hmm. Robin the Cradle. Jones confessor. He's like three years from dead, though. Like in 14, 20, when you're 26, you might as well be 86. It's middle age. (laughs) Anyway, um... She's an old maid by now. Joan's confessor, which is like her confidant, whatever, like her good friend, her like, I don't know, BFF. whatever. Yeah. Later testified that Joan told Charles she had reassured, oh, Joan had told the confessor that she reassured Charles that he was Charles the Sixth's son and legitimate king. You know, that whole Hamlet thing, dude, don't even worry about it. He's That crazy guy, definitely your dad. Right. This throne is yours, buddy. I'm gonna get you to Reams, and we're gonna we're gonna do it up. Just listen to me, cause God said so. <laughs> it's been ordained into my brain. <laughs> anyway, Charles and his council apparently needed a little bit more reassurance, and they sent Joan to be examined by a council of theologians who declared that she was a good person and a good Catholic. That makes her credible. I guess. They did not render a decision on the source of Joan's inspiration, but agreed that sending her to Orleans could be useful to the king and would test if her inspiration was div- of divine origin. So I, they were I like, guess. Nah, fuck around, find out. Yeah, prove it. <laughs> Joan was then sent to uh, be physically examined by women directed by Charles's mother-in-law, Yolanda of Aragon, who uh, verified... Aragon is from... Spain. Okay. So, because they were kind of also involved in that, like uh, between England and France and Spain, they were all intermarrying too. I was like, I don't remember the Dragon Land from that book. What it's called? E R A G O N. This is A R A G O N. I know it was a joke. <laughs> Whatever. Anyway, so she verified her virginity, and this was to establish if she could indeed be prophesied. Oh, okay. Hold on. Can we take a step back here real quick? 
This is Charles the Seventh's mother-in-law. Yeah. So he's married already. Yeah. I oh, didn't mention that part. I didn't know either till right now. <laughs> <laughs> Pre-read, everybody. <laughs> well, it didn't say anything about that in here until right now. I don't know, but like we said, your mother-in-law is your cousin and your sister's your ex-wife. <laughs> Okay. Continue. Your mom's your dad. Your dad's your brother. <laughs> anyway. This was to establish if she could indeed be the prophesied virgin savior of France, to show the purity of her devotion, and to ensure she had not consorted with the devil. Don't you be consorted with the devil. <laughs> Only people see ghosts consort with the devil. God's loophole. Anyway. The Delphine, reassured by the results of these tests, because she's apparently a good person and also a virgin, um, commissioned a plate of armor for her, and she designed her own banner and had a sword brought to her from under the altar in the church at St. Catherine de Fireboys. De Fireboys? <laughs> isn't, that that, isn't that that TikTok group with the face tattoos? Fireboys? De Fireboys. <laughs> <laughs> it's spelled, well, it's St. Catherine de, and then... F-I-E-R-B-O-I-S. Fireboys. It's probably Fairbois, but... <laughs> okay, Fireboys, though. <laughs> Around this time, she began calling herself Joan the Maiden, emphasizing her virginity as a sign of her mission. Sure. You gotta lean in, you gotta lean in hard. <laughs> yeah. So before she arrived at Chinon, the Armanac strategic situation was bad, but not hopeless. Remember, Armanac is the French loyalist. Mm-hmm. All right. So they're bad, but not hopeless. The uh, Armanac forces were prepared to endure a prolonged siege at Orleans. The Burgundies had recently withdrawn from the siege due to disagreements about territory. And the <laughs> English were debating whether to continue. They're like, is this really even fucking worth it? Right. Nonetheless, after almost a century of war, the Armanacs were demoralized. Once Joan joined the Dauphine's cause, her personality began to raise their spirits. Can you hold on? Can we take a step back real quick and just think about a century of war, a hundred years of war? That's five generations to be like, if, as a kid, like a 20 year old adult, you could be like, my great, great, great grandfather started, started this, this bullshit. War. Right. We don't even know what we're fighting about anymore. Who gives a fuck? Crazy. Yeah. Bananas to me that they're it's like, insane. it's like. It's insane that you could be born and die in the middle of a war and yeah. live a whole life. Yeah. Like it's unbelievable. Anyway, where was I? Siege of New Orleans. And yeah. Anyway, Sorry, so, not New Orleans. So Joan, old Orleans. <laughs> right. Old Orleans. <laughs> Joan basically gets to uh, the, the front lines of the Delphine's cause and he, she's inspiring devotion and the hope of divine assistance. Just so casting a lot of spells, being like, blessed be the, blessed are the fruit, blessed are the meek, blessed are the French. Right. <laughs> Just walked around. May the forest be with you and also with you. <laughs> Throwing the holy water <laughs> on people. Her belief in the divine origin of her mission turned the longstanding Anglo-French conflict over inheritance to a religious war. Before beginning the journey to Orleans, uh, Joan dictated a letter to the Duke of Bedford, warming, warning him that she was sent by God to drive him out of France. <laughs> Duke of Bedford being like another general on the other side. Mm. And she's like, 
me and God coming to get you. <laughs> you should maybe leave. And if God is with us, who can be against us? Quote from the Bible. What? I said it's a quote from the Bible. What is a quote? If Say God is with us, who can be against us? I think it's a quote from the Bible. <laughs> okay. I mean, it's simplified. But it's not. That's. I don't think that's the direct quote. That's a little too modern, but. Sure. I think it's from the Bible. <laughs> I really sound on a bookmark once. <laughs> Probably at church. All right. So let's talk about Orleans. <clears throat> the city? Yeah. So in the last week of April in 1429, Joan set out from Blois. She was Blanc? born when? What? She was born in 1404? She was born in like 1412. Okay, she's and it's 1429, so she's 17 still? Yeah. Okay. So she's carrying supplies for the relief of Orleans. This is where a battle is kind of already taking place. Joan was initially treated as a figurehead to raise morale, uh, flying her banner on the battlefield. She was not given any formal command or included in mil- military councils. Because she's a woman. And 17. <laughs> but quickly gained the support of the Armanac troops. She always seemed to be present where the fighting was most intense, and she frequently stayed with the front ranks, and she gave them a sense that she was fighting for their salvation. All I have in my head is like those, you remember those old cartoons? They're like, this like 17-year-old girl rides out, and like all the troops are like, got that, like they all turn into that wolf with like where the jaw drops, and the eyes are like, ooga. <laughs> that's, that's why the morale's going. Jesus Christ. <laughs> my thought goes to like Arya. Okay. I don't know. Like, just in my mind, that's who is playing this character. Sure. Yeah, maybe. But I'm like, I'm just thinking, like, because, you yeah, know, they... Yeah, no, like, <laughs> you're cartoonishly <laughs> weird wolves. <laughs> yeah, my morale's higher. Woo! <laughs> Whatever. Those guys hadn't seen a woman in a hundred years. <laughs> well, here's the other thing, though. He commissioned a shield of armor for her so she looks like everybody else and she's like in pants and she her hair is short like she looks like a guy mm. she's effectively cross-dressing sure to do this again the whole aria thing so that's kind of i guess i should have added that detail in there because it's kind of important that she she doesn't have like she's like, she doesn't have like long blonde hair down to, like down to her back or whatever yeah, no, she's like. mulaning this so Let's Armanac, get down to business. Armanac commanders would sometimes accept the advice she gave them, such as deciding what positions to attack, when to continue an assault, and how to place artillery. <laughs> um, the Armanacs went on the offensive, attacking the outlying Bastille de Saint-Loup. Once Joan learned of the attack, she rode out with her banner to the side of the battle, a mile east of Orleans. She arrived as the Armanac soldiers were retreating after a failed assault. Her appearance rallied the soldiers, who attacked again and took the fortress. Joan was wounded by an arrow between the neck and shoulder while holding her banner in the trench on the south bank of the river, south bank of the river Yikes. but later returned to encourage the final assault that took the fortress. She just snaps it off. like just... Yeah, she's like, I gotta keep going. <laughs> New shoulder, who dis? Uh, the English retreated from Orleans and um, ended the siege. So that looked really good for her. Sure. Um, I won us this battle. And I mean, the whole time Joan is declaring that she's sent by God. Mm-hmm. 
So she was asked to show a sign demonstrating this claim that she was sent by God. And she, like, before she goes to Orleans, while they're still trying to, like, verify all this shit and stuff, Mm -hmm. she replied that it would be given if she were brought to Orleans. Um, The lifting of (laughs) the... Really rolling the dice there. (laughs) Right. Very vague, but good, good job. The lifting of the siege was interpreted by many people to be that sign. Prominent clergy wrote treatises in support of Joan after this victory. They wrote, good enough. <laughs> right, they're like, yeah, it must be true. I don't know. In contrast, the English saw the ability of this peasant girl to defeat their armies as proof she was possessed by the devil. <laughs> Leave it to the English. Just like, but that just means like, exactly. That's, why wouldn't they? <laughs> I'm sent by God. No, you're sent by the devil. It's just all about perspective. It's all bullshit is what it is. (laughs) So there's a bunch of different battles that we could go into like we did for Orleans. But basically, she's still rallying forces. She's still being seen as like a light at the end of the tunnel, like a a divine force for our salvation kind of thing by Mm -hmm. all the soldiers. Um this is our bastion for victory. Right. They're systematically making their way down the the lower L-O-I-R-E river, the lower river, and they're just taking bridges as they go. So they're like cutting off supply lines and stuff, that kind of thing. Okay. Trying to get down to um, Paris. Yep. They kept winning. Joan keeps leading the charge. She keeps gaining followers and supporters. What? No, I'm just thinking it's like send the, you know, this it's like a baseball team. You, know, you just keep sending out the same lineup. They keep winning, keep sending the same lineup. Don't mess with success. Basically. So they get to Paris. Um, but <laughs> after the destruction of the English army in a place called Pate, some Armagnac leaders argued that uh, for an invasion of English-held Normandy, but Joan remained insistent that Charles must be crowned. So the whole point of this, of her being in these armies, was that she's trying to get the Dauphin, the like the the heir to the throne that was then excommunicated. Mm-hmm. She's trying to get him on the throne. Yeah, but they have to Formally. go down to like the they have to essentially get to the like place where you do that. Mm-hmm. So she's trying to move him down there. Right, but the military leaders are like, we should strike at Normandy. Right, and she's like, no, I got to get this guy. He's so got, we got the, an appointment. Right, and so now all of a sudden, now I can imagine there's a rift starting. We're like, this isn't militarily strategic. Well, who's in charge here? Because the Dauphine agreed. He's like, yeah, I want to be the fucking king. Yeah, of and course. Like, and the army left. You can't trust that guy. He's married and hanging out with this 17-year-old. The guy doesn't know what he's doing. Well, road rules. <laughs> the army left to march on Reims. Reims is the place that like he gets coronated. Coronated. I wanted to say knighted, but that wasn't right. The advance was nearly unopposed. After four days of negotiation, Joan's like, let him have it. <laughs> Joan ordered the soldiers to fill the city's moat with wood and directed the placement of artillery. Fearing an assault, um they negotiated a surrender. Why did they fill the moat with wood? I so you could get across. Oh, they were getting into the city. I yeah, get you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought they had taken the city and then filled the moat with wood. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. No, there were four days of negotiations, <clears throat> not actually really fighting. Like, it was mostly unopposed. Come out with your hands up. No. <laughs> <laughs> Put 
wood in your moat. Okay. <laughs> so Reims opens its gates on July 16th, 1429. And uh, Charles, Joan, and the army entered in the evening. And Charles's consecration took place the following morning. Joan was given a place. Joan was given a place of honor at the ceremony and announced that God's will had been fulfilled. Yay. I'm done here. My work is done. After the consecration, the royal court negotiated a truce of 15 days with the Duke of Burgundy, who promised he would try to arrange the transfer of Paris to the Armagnacs while continuing negotiations for a definitive peace. At the end of the truce, Burgundy went back on his promise. And all was lost. <laughs> all of that, like, were like 15 days of peace was gone. Like, the next day, he was like, nope. Yeah, why wouldn't he? So, as the Armanac He's army. He's back by England. Right. As the Armanac army approached Paris, many of the towns along the way surrendered without a fight. The Armanacs continued their advance and launched an assault on Paris on September 8th. This is still in that same year. Um, God damn it, I lost it. 1429. Yeah. So wait, they got to Paris. Then they they continued to Reims. They weren't quite in Paris yet, but like they were still on the outskirts of Paris, but then uh, the Burgundies were like, all right. Go away. Yeah, they were like, and then they went to Reims. We'll do the 15 days of peace, whatever. But then he's like, actually, fuck you. (laughs) So then the army comes on to paris now they're like all right well i guess we have to take it now instead mm-hmm. of just like doing this peacefully like adults um they continued their advance and launched an assault on paris on september 8th during the fighting joan was wounded in the leg by a crossbow bolt she remained in a trench beneath the city walls until she was rescued after nightfall the armanacs had suffered 1500 casualties the following morning charles ordered an end to the assault Joan was displeased and argued that the attack should be continued. She um, and this guy named Alan Con, Alan Son, maybe I'm going to call him Alan Con, who was just like a, a, a general, like a war leader kind of thing. Um, they made fresh plans to attack Paris, but Charles dismantled a bridge approaching Paris that was necessary for the attack and the Armagnac army had to retreat. He's like foiled his own, his own general's plans. Well, Basically, and also he's like, we just lost 1,500 people. Can we take a minute? A lot of people back in that day. Yeah, can we fucking take a breather? So after the defeat at Paris, Joan's role in the French court diminished. Um, Her aggressive independence did not agree with the court's emphasis on finding a diplomatic solution with Burgundy. And her role in the defeat at Paris reduced the court's faith in her. (laughs) So now they're like, hmm... It's not what have you done, it's what have you done for me lately. Sure. Scholars New Orleans was two years ago. Right. Or whatever. You were killing it. What the <laughs> fuck? Did God tell you to do that? Anyway. <laughs> Scholars at the University of Paris argued that she failed to take Paris because of her inspiration because her inspiration was not divine. In September, Charles disbanded the army and Joan was not allowed to work with the Duke of Alcanon again. They're like, you guys don't make some great decisions together. Let's <laughs> separate you two. Joan returned to court at the end of December, where she learned that she and her family had been ennobled by Charles as a reward for her services to him and the kingdom. Before the September attack on Paris. <laughs> I 
that guy's working his 50 acre farm and some guy rides up on a horse one day he's like hey uh you're worth you guys, some shit now well yeah you're like you guys are the, the king's gonna make you guys noble and he's like why he goes I, do you know where your daughter is i haven't seen her in years dude i don't know <laughs> well <laughs> turns out your kids in an army led by god <laughs> right. oh cool some would say she's on a mission from God. Uh-huh. Anyway, so before the September attack on Paris, Charles had negotiated a four-month truce with the Burgundy, which was extended until Easter of 1430. During this truce, the French court had no need for Joan. Later. I mean, truly, because, like, She's, yeah. if there's no fighting happening, then what do we need God for? <laughs> I guess. Y'all need Jesus. But, like, even though there's not like a whole lot going on she's st- there's still little like battles and stuff that are popping up just because of like the turmoil that france is in because mm-hmm. their economy sucks and people are dying and whatever that's still a civil war right so she's still going to these little kind of mini battles and kind of as an outlier but still gaining support of other groups she's like a boxer who got knocked out in the big fight and now she's got to like work her way up she's fighting these small fights like i gotta get my reputation back right she's like kind of on some vigilante shit she went from playing stadiums to playing clubs. She's got to build back up. Start from the top, now we're here. Start from the top, and now we're... Start from the bottom, ended up at the top, and now you're back at the bottom. Right. <laughs> but she's still gaining followers. Of course. Like, as everywhere she goes, she's gaining followers. There's maniacs everywhere. That's still true to this day. Yeah. But, I mean, eventually... She gained so many people that, like, uh, she had to kind of disband her army because it became too difficult for the surrounding countryside to support her. Like, she can't feed these people. Mm-hmm. They're her, like, she's their leader, but she can't sustain this. <laughs> hey, hey, man, you want to join? <laughs> like, people that are with her are like, hey, man, you want to join this army? It's pretty cool. We got a uh, benefits are uh, we're led by God and uh, this woman. And uh, the, the cons are I uh, don't really have any food and... <laughs> We got to fight a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like a winning, <laughs> a winning pitch. So May 23rd, 1430, Joan is captured in the town of Compion. I think Compion. She agreed to surrender to a- Wait, how do you spell it? C-O-M-P-E-I-G-N-E. Compion? Yeah, Compion probably. Compion. Okay. Whatever. <laughs> in that town. She agreed to surrender to a pro-Burgundy nobleman who quickly moved her to his castle near No Yes. No Yes. (laughs) Yes, no. My favorite name for a town, No Yes. (laughs) (laughs) After her first attempt to escape, she was transferred to Beaurevoir Castle. She made another escape attempt. Beauregard Castle. No. (laughs) Beauvoir, maybe? I don't know fucking French. Bourgeois? I'm doing my best over here. Could you just, like, listen to the word and move on with your life? Continue. Accept it as fact. Go ahead. We're a history podcast, (laughs) after all. Mm Mm-hmm. Anyway, she made another escape attempt while she was at this castle, jumping from a window of a tower and landing in a dry moat. She was injured, but she survived. And in November, she was moved to the Burgundy town of Arras. The English and the Burgundies uh, rejoiced that Joan had been removed as a military threat. The English negotiated with their Burgundy allies to pay Joan's ransom and transfer her to their custody. The final agreement called for the English to pay 10,000 
monies to obtain her from Luxembourg. Obtain her from Luxembourg? Yeah. The country? Yeah. Yeah, I'll sell you her for Luxembourg. I don't know why she's in Luxembourg. This is a surprise to me, too. <laughs> they just didn't really explain that part, so whatever. Okay. After the English paid the ransom, they moved Joan to Rouen, their main headquarters in France. There's no evidence that Charles tried to save Joan once she was transferred to the English. How would he know? <laughs> like, I don't know. It's not like they, uh, she can't text him. Hey, man. <laughs> I'm... I but got the caught. English are probably like, yo, we fucking got Joan of Arc. <laughs> Look at us. There's no way he doesn't know. Maybe. So now Joan's in some trouble. She's in some shit. Uh-huh. She was put on trial for heresy. Right, because they think he, she's working with the devil. Running with the devil, some might say. Right. Uh, Nothing on that? Yeah. You're, <laughs> Come on. You're hilarious. <laughs> She was accused of having blasphemed by wearing men's clothes, um, <laughs> acting upon visions that were demonic, and refusing to submit her words and deeds to the church because she claimed that she would be judged by God alone. Oh, she she quoted Tupac at him? <laughs> Only God can judge us. Forget the haters. <laughs> uh. Joan's captors downplayed the secular aspects of her trial by submitting her judgment to an ecclesiastical court. I don't know what that means, but the trial was politically motivated. Of course it was. shouldn't have been... The argument is that it shouldn't have been handled by a religious court. It should have been handled by a political court. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a whole bunch of fucking shit going on with her trial, though. We'll talk about that in a second. Joan testified that her visions had instructed her to defeat the English uh, and crown Charles as her success was argued to be evidence that she was acting on behalf of God. If unchallenged, her testimony would invalidate the English claim to the rule of France and undermine the University of Paris, which supported the dual monarchy ruled by an English king. The verdict was a foregone conclusion. Joan's guilt could be used to compromise Charles's claims to legitimacy by showing that he had been consecrated by the act of a heretic, all but eight of the 131 clergy who participated in the trial were French, and two-thirds were associated with the University of Paris. So there's a lot of people in here that are, like, really not on her side. <laughs> Imagine that. But most were pro-Burgundy and pro-English. So the judge's name in this whole thing, his name is Cauchin, I think. Okay. C-A-U-C-H-O-N, Cauchon. Caution. Uh, he attempted to follow correct inquisitorial procedure, but the trial had so many irregularities. It's like the OJ trial. Oh God! <laughs> Drugs. <laughs> Joan should have been in the hands of the in. Uh, okay, so she should have been in political care, mm-hmm. not church care. First of all, but she was in church care. But during her trial, she should have been guarded by women. Because she's a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, but instead was imprisoned by the English and guarded by male soldiers under the command of the Duke of Bedford. Contrary to uh, canon law, Cauchin had not established Joan's infamy before proceeding with the trial. Joan was not read the charges against her until well after her interrogations began. The procedures were below inquisitorial standards, subjecting Joan to lengthy interrogations without legal counsel. One of no one ju- read her Miranda rights. Basically, they were like, we're going to ask you a whole bunch of questions, but we're not going to tell you why. 
or like what you're even here for she's like <laughs> what the fuck oh and also you don't get to have a lawyer you you do this yourself <laughs> so anyway one of the trial clerics stepped down because he felt that the testimony was coerced and its intention was to entrap joan 100 percent true <laughs> another challenged Kaushin's right to judge the trial and was jailed there is evidence that the trial records were falsified so uh, while she was nuts and having these visions and like whatever it was also a very not fair trial mm-hmm. all of that to say which you would i mean like it's a it's really it should be like the idea the fact that she was even put on trial is crazy that they didn't just execute her without a trial i mean yeah you were in a war for a hundred years you could kill her once right like why would you even put her on trial whatever war criminal don works for the devil how much more evidence do you need i don't know i don't know they don't throw burn, the book at her they don't burn throw witches, the good book women. at her <laughs> During the trial, Joan showed great control. Um, she induced her interrogators to ask questions sequentially rather than simultaneously. So they're all just like standing there screaming questions at her. And she's like, how about you bitches go one at a time? <laughs> I can't answer you all at the same time. <laughs> um, asked them to refer back to their records when it was appropriate and ended the session when she requested. Witnesses at the trial were impressed by her prudence when answering questions. For example, in one exchange, she was asked if she knew... She was in God's grace. The question was meant as a trap. As church doctrine held they that played their trap card. As <laughs> church doctrine held that nobody could be certain of being in God's grace. If she answered positively, she would have been charged with heresy. If negatively, <laughs> she would have confessed her own guilt. Joan avoided the trap by stating that if she was not in God's grace, she hoped God would put her there. And if she was in God's grace, then she hoped she would remain so. One of the co- court notaries at her trial later testified that the interrogators were stunned by her answer. To convince her to submit, Joan was shown the instruments of torture. When she refused to be intimidated, Kaushin met with about a dozen of the jurors um, to vote on whether she should be tortured. The majority decided against it. So I like the idea that the interrogators are like, are you in God's grace? And she answers like that. And they're like, is she allowed to say it? Like, wait. <laughs> She can't say that, right? Like that's a, that, she like, didn't answer the question. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I thought for sure that one would get him. And then she's like, "I don't give a shit. Torture me." <laughs> and they're like, uh, "All right." Except no. In early May, uh, Kaushin asked the University of Paris to deliberate on twelve articles summarizing the accusation of heresy. The university approved the charges. On May 23rd, Joan was formally admonished by the court. The next day, she was taken out to the churchyard of the Abbey of St. Owen for public condemnation. <laughs> As Kaushin began to read Joan's sentence, she agreed to submit. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. She was found not guilty, though? She was found guilty. What did you say? Say that again. Read that again. <laughs> the whole thing? Well, just the like part where she's found Joan guilty. was born in a small village. Shut up. <laughs> Okay, uh, he asked the University of Paris to, like, basically... Drop charges. Well, to agree to these charges. Sure. Um, the university approved the charges. On May 23rd, Joan was formally admonished by the court. Admonished? Doesn't that mean let go? 
I don't think so. I think it means like she was charged. She was. I mean, maybe in this context, but I thought the the term admonished. Hold on, I'm I'm googling real quick, listeners. Oh, okay. Oh, okay, warn or reprimand someone firmly. Admonish. Oh, okay, yeah, I guess. I wonder what word I'm getting it confused with. Abolished? No. <laughs> I just, okay. I don't anyway. either. Okay. So she was admonished. Uh, Warned. Okay. Sure. The Yelled next it. day, she was taken out to the churchyard for public condemnation. As Couchin, the judge, began to read Joan's sentence, she agreed to submit. She was presented with an abjuration document, which is basically like a atonement kind of thing. Um, which included an agreement that she would not bear arms or wear men's clothing. You know that second man in the United States? Can't do it. <laughs> yeah. You know all the rights that they're trying to take away from people who really just want to wear pretty dresses? Can't do that either. <laughs> it was read aloud to her, and she signed it. So public heresy was a capital crime uh, in which an unrepentant or relapsed heretic could be given over to the judgment of the secular courts and punished by death. Basically, if you don't atone for your shit, we can kill you. Yeah, given over to the secular court. So then they take it out of the religious part and they go, okay, just try her as a criminal at this point. Right. So having signed the uh, abjuration, the, uh, what did I just call it? The atonement. Mm -hmm. Having signed the atonement, Joan was no longer an unrepentant heretic, but could be executed if convicted of relapsing into heresy. So like we dare you try to get bitch. She's like Eminem. She's gonna relapse. <laughs> as part of her atonement, Joan was required to renounce wearing men's clothes, as we said. She exchanged her clothes for a woman's dress and allowed her head to be shaved. She was returned to her cell. That seems counterintuitive, but whatever. I think that was more of like a an embarrassment kind of thing. Sure. Uh, Shame. She, get the belt. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> she was exchanged or. Uh, oh, she was returned to her cell and kept in chains instead of being transferred to an ecclesiastical prison. Um, witnesses at the rehabilitation trial stated that Joan was subjected to mistreatment and rape attempts, including one by an English noble, and that guards placed men's clothes in her cell, forcing her to wear them. Calshin was notified that Joan, I know, Calshin was notified that Joan had resumed wearing male clothing. He sent clerics to admonish her, um, to remain in submission, but the English prevented them from visiting her. So they're just kind of trapping her. Mm -hmm. The guards are being real assholes here. They're being guards. They're being knuckleheads. <laughs> you ever heard all... of the Stanford prison experiment? It happens to everybody. Right, but this only happened for like a few days. Like that was May 23rd when she got, um, the charges were confirmed. Mm -hmm. So now we're on May 28th. Calshin went to Joan's cell along with several other clerics. Um, according to the trial record, Joan said that she had gone back to wearing men's clothes because it was more fitting that she dressed like a man while being held with male guards, and that the judges had broken their promise to let her go to mass and to release her from her chains. She stated that if they fulfilled their promises and placed her in a decent prison, she would be obedient. <laughs> Doesn't and really have a whole lot to play with. Beggars like, are being choosers here. Right. Uh, when Cowshin asked about her visions... Joan stated that the voices had blamed her for um, atoning out of fear and that she would not deny them again. As Joan's atonement had required her to deny her visions, this was sufficient to convict her um, of relapsing into heresy 
and to condemn her to death. So she could have just been like, nope, I'm good. And everything would have been fine. Right. But instead she's like, the voice is telling me. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> the next day, 42 jurors were summoned to decide Joan's fate. Two recommended that she be abandoned to the secular courts immediately. Uh, the rest recommended that the atonement be read to her again and explained. In, the In end, case she didn't get it. In the end, they voted unanimously that Joan was a relapsed heretic and should be abandoned to the secular power, the English, for punishment. At about the age of 19, Joan was executed on May 30th, 1431. In the morning... The end. Yeah, right. Uh, In the morning, she was allowed to receive the sacraments despite court processes requiring that they be denied to heretics. She was then taken to Ruin's um, old marketplace, where she was publicly read her sentence of condemnation. At this point, she should have been turned over to the appropriate authority, uh, the bailiff of Ruin, for secular sentencing, but instead was delivered directly to the English and tied to a tall plastered pillar for execution by burning. She asked to view a cross as she died and was given one by an English English soldier made from a stick, uh, which she kissed and placed next to her chest. A processional crucifix was fetched from the church uh, um, nearby, and she embraced it before her hands were bound, and it was held before her eyes during her execution. After her death, she remains; uh, her remains were thrown into the Seine River. <laughs> Gassed her into the river. Yeah. Witch! So, she's dead, mm-hmm. but trials are still happening posthumously um as like rehabilitation trials so her family is also kind of trying to get like they're kind of trying to clear her name a little bit um because of all the great things that she did for france and whatever Mm -hmm. so these are called rehabilitation trials the rehabilitation trial began on november 7th 1455 which is quite a while after her death this is like 20 years after she died um at notre dame cathedral Actually, it's Notre Dame Cathedral Notre Dame. in France. but Notre Dame. Notre Dame. The fighting Irish. <laughs> anyway, when Joan's mother publicly delivered a formal request for her daughter's rehabilitation. Uh, basically, like, she isn't a heretic. Like, they just want to clear her name. That's all rehabilitation really means. Mm-hmm. Um, having heard from about 115 witnesses, the court found that the original trial was unjust and deceitful. We know that. Joan's um, atonement ex... <coughs> I feel like I just swallowed a bug. Gross. Uh, Don't do that. Okay. Joan's atonement, execution, and their consequences were nullified. To emphasize the court's... Hard to nullify an execution. (laughs) I mean... (laughs) Too late. Yeah, but like her name is cleared and now she... I don't know. It's a... Whatever. To emphasize the court's decision, a copy of the articles of accusation was formally torn up. The court ordered that a cross should be erected on the site of Joan's execution. So, they did eventually clear her name. That's kind of why we know of her now because that's a that's a pretty big deal especially for a woman of that time and like i mean we don't really talk about them thinking she's a witch at all but like 
you know, whatever. <laughs> it's in that same vein of like, they don't burn witches, they burn women kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, Or crazy people, or both. Right. Well, let's talk about the crazy people of it all. So modern scholars have discussed possible neurological and psychiatric causes for her visions. Her visions have been described as hallucinations. Hallucinations. Abominations. Turns out she's just having deja vu a lot. Goddamn. <laughs> her visions have been described as hallucinations arising from epilepsy or a temporal lobe tuberculoma. Others have implicated ergot poisoning, um, schizophrenia, delusional disorder, or creative psychopathy, creative psychopathy induced by her early childhood rearing. Um, one of the promoters of the faith at her 1903 canonization trial argued that her visions may have been manifestations of hysteria. Other scholars argue that Joan created some of the vision specific details in response to the demands of the interrogations at her trial. <laughs> so they're like, she, she made, made it, up. it up. Right. Many of these explanations have been challenged. Shocker. The trial records designed uh, to demonstrate that Joan was guilty of heresy are unlikely to provide the objective descriptions of symptoms needed to support a medical diagnosis. Yeah, of course not. So any documentation that they have is complete bullshit. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about her um, like cross-dressing because this was also a big point that we didn't super touch on but was a big point of contention in her trials. Her dressing like a man? Yeah. So Joan's cross-dressing was the topic of five of the articles of accusation against her during the trial. In the view of the jurors, it was the emblem of her heresy. So this is kind of like the outward-facing, like... Um, the this gives personality to her being a like a work of the devil. heretic, yeah. Only the devil wears pants <laughs> as a woman. Devil wears Prada. <laughs> During the trial proceedings, Joan is not recorded as giving a practical reason why she cross dressed. Maybe it's because you don't want to fucking go to war in a dress. <laughs> Hard to ride a horse in a dress. God damn it! People are stupid. She stated that it was her own choices to wear men's clothes and that she did not she did so not at the request of men but by the command of God and his angels. She stated she would return to wearing women's clothes when she fulfilled her calling. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Although Joan's cross-dressing was used to justify her execution, the church's position on it was not clear. In general, it was seen as a sin, but there was no argument about its severity. Um one of the clergymen stated that a woman may wear a man's clothes to hide herself from enemies or if no other clothes were available. And Joan did both, wearing them in enemy territory to get to, like, all these battles and stuff, and in her prison cell after her um, atonement when her dress was taken away from her. Soon after the siege of Orleans was lifted, Jean, uh, wait, uh, Joan's male clothes and haircut were appropriate for her calling, as she was a warrior, warrior and men's clothes were more practical. So basically, like, who gives a fuck? Mm-hmm. Anyway, Joan now is one of the most studied people of the Middle Ages, partly because her two trials provided a wealth of documents. Her image changing over time has included being the savior of France, an obedient daughter of the Roman Catholic Church, an early feminist, and a symbol of freedom and independence. Um, Joan is a saint in the Roman Catholic Church, 
she was beatified, beatified, B-E-A-T-I-F-I-E-D. I want it to be beautified, but it's not. Beautified. She was, I'm going to call it beatified, by Pope Pius X in 1909 and canonized on May 16th, 1920 by Pope Benedict the 15th. Her feast day is May 30th, the anniversary of her execution and also our daughter's birthday. In an, apost- called her Joan. in an apostolic letter, Pope Pius the Eleventh declared Joan one of the patron saints of France, and um, Joan was canonized as a virgin, not as a Christian martyr, because she had been put to death by a canonically constituted or constituted court, which did not execute her for her faith in Christ, uh, but for her private revelations. Nevertheless, she has been popularly venerated as a martyr since her death, one who suffered for her modesty and purity, her country, and the strength of her convictions. Joan is also remembered as a visionary of the Church of England with a commemoration on May 30th. She is revered in the pantheon of Cowday religion. Okay. So... And uh, she's in Civilization Three as a leader of France. Yeah, she's also hanging on the wall of um, the castle in Frozen. What? Yeah, in in like the do you want to build a snowman song? <laughs> Anna's like running around and talking all the paintings, and she jumps up on one. Is like hang in there, Joan. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Hang in there, Joan. I always well, thought Joan of Arc meant like she had something to do with Noah's Ark. <laughs> I don't know how you managed <laughs> to make have a high like how did you graduate from high school? Did you ever eat anything? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't try very hard. I wish I had now. Yeah, me too. Oh, thanks. Well, you can go find yourself another uh, another podcast co-host. I need a new host. Um, One yeah, that's not as apparently stupid as that's, me. Uh, I don't really have... Yeah, I've never really thought about Joan of Arc. I mean, beyond just like, I've heard the name and stuff. Knew she was burned at the stake. Yeah, well, now you know that she did indeed lead french forces and uh to some victories and some losses was on a mission from god and then they killed her for it (laughs) how dare you lady uh that was good very thorough very good thanks uh do you have anything else for the good of the order should we gtfo no let's fucking skedaddle my throat hurts i've been talking too much oh no oh no uh okay well thanks for listening everyone and uh we'll catch you next time bye love you bye love you